Welcome to Gravedigger Radio Podcast, broadcasting live from the afterlife. Welcome to Gravedigger Radio Podcast. Today we're heading to 1820 Charleston, South Carolina for the murderous tale of Lavinia. Yes, Zach, I think through all my research I found the perfect girl for you. Oh, really now? <laughs> exactly. She has two amazing features. First, she's reported to be America's first female serial killer. Okay, and, I'm already interested. Yeah, and the first woman executed in the United States. Okay, that's kind of a deal breaker. Yeah, good old corporal punishment. So, yeah, that being said, I'm sorry to tell you that she's dead. Oh. Yeah, sorry about your luck. And she's been that way for a good 200 years or so. Well, that's also a problem. Yeah. But, Zach, if you find yourself in good old Charleston, South Carolina, you might find her ghost at the old city jail. Oh, really now? Mm -hmm. So we got some murder, some murder, some spookiness. What else we got? Well, you know, that's quite a rap sheet. So let's get digging into the rest of her grisly tale. So Lavinia, Lavinia Fisher, with her husband and literal partner in crime, ran the Six Mile House, which was an inn and tavern six miles north of old Charleston. Kind of naming it on the nose, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. So since colonial times, Charleston was a, a major shipping port, and the city saw its share of money flowing in and out. So along the major roads, there were a series of what they called mile houses, that were safe havens while on the road. You know, if you were a merchant, you'd stop over for the night at, the, at these locations. And Lavinia's Six Mile House soon proved to be anything but a safe haven. Her establishment was actually the base of a gang of thugs who roamed the area and waylaid innocent travelers. So are these kind of like highwaymen and stuff that would hang out around that time? Exactly. Because they knew the money was flowing up and down these roads. Now, the legends say that Lavinia would work with her husband to steal from and then murder, murder, murder the wealthier patrons of the Six Mile House. Lavinia, who was reported to be a quite attractive woman, would woo her prospects into private parlors and then poison their tea with oleander. Now, what is oleander exactly? Well, it's, it's a plant. You could you know, use the properties, add it to the tea is what she would do, and give it to them as patrons of the house. She was operating with kind of a classic honeypot trap, you know, the attractive woman, come on in, drink a little of this, and then, you know, she had them. So is it kind of like nightshade or whatever? Right, it's not that strong. Um, Nightshade could kill. Uh, This would just, it was a more mild form of poison. Uh, It wouldn't have killed them outright, but it made them quite sick. So if they'd come in for the evening and they had some of this, you know, they would kind of be not fully incapacitated, but definitely uh, worse for wear and would retire you know to their to their room for the night and be quite vulnerable so when they would do that the the husband would kind of take care of the rest again the local legends uh, say that over the course of their butchery the fishers piled up over a hundred bodies somewhere in the basement of the six mile house no shit yeah it kind of makes me think of uh of game of thrones in a sense where they're talking about poison being a a a woman's weapon (laughs) right but you look at a lot of female serial killers not just in america but in history in general Mm -hmm. and poison tended to be their weapon of choice to take out their intended targets yeah i mean that kind of adds up because obviously in in just a bare knuckle fight she's not going to be able to to, waylay these guys and rob them so she had to get some advantage somehow, and this is what she would do. 
And then, of course, she would kind of hand them over to her husband once she got them, you know, in a kind of incapacitated state. And then he would do the rest on his own. And, and she was kind of a good looking woman, too, wasn't she? Right. That's what the legends say, that she was she was not, you know, not hard on the eyes. So um, it was easy for her to, like, woo these guys in, pour a little tea. Well, I mean, that you would expect that at a nice inn. Once she had them kind of weakened and ready for bed and everything, then... You know, the husband would take over and like, oh, do the rest of the dirty work. I'm feeling kind of sleepy. Like, yeah. I think I'm going to go take a nap. And then, bam, right. you're dead. Lavinia's bloody rampage was only halted by lucky happenstance and a man named John Peoples. So John was your typical visitor to the inn. And Lavinia tried her usual routine on him as well. John, however, was not much of a tea drinker. <laughs> 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 and so not wanting to insult her or whatever he poured out the tea in secret you know maybe under the table or something or when she wasn't looking i just picture like when uh when people go to take shots so they don't want to take a drink and they right. just throw it over the shoulder but this guy's like throwing a whole cup of tea and it just like right. throws just it throw in the, the fireplace or under the table whatever i don't know he didn't want to offend her but he i believe he may have even been like allergic perhaps oh, to tea. that's cool and that's a hellish life but yeah but still for whatever reason he wasn't a tea fan and then, so he was fine, but he, you know, after he re- retired for the evening, his instincts, his gut feeling told him that something was wrong. The dialogue between him and Lavinia was off somehow. To him, it just seemed like something was fishy about the fishers. Pardon, <laughs> pardon me for that one. Well, and so, so a lot of times in, with serial killers, you have a product killer or a process killer. Okay. And so a product killer... You seem to know a lot about this there, Zacho. I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> and so a product killer is somebody who kills, and they don't really care about like the way they kill. They just want the dead body or whatever comes after, like getting the money from somebody uh-huh. or robbing them. Or, whereas a process killer, they don't care what happens to the body after they're done. This, okay. For them, it's all about the kill, and uh-huh. it's all about the methodology. So you think maybe she was just enjoying the trap part of it and the that's well and that's kind of well you mentioned that they would hire have like wealthy people come into this inn Mm -hmm. and so nobody robs a beggar right exactly so were they there for more about the money or was she kind of getting her rocks off by killing these guys no reason it couldn't be both you know for example jeffrey dahmer was a classic product killer with his altar of skulls and (laughs) and everything that he had i don't know how much you've read up into jeffrey dahmer that's wrong to do yeah, I know, right? We're going to have to clear him out of the basement here. Oh, dang it. But as far as a, a combination there, I would say Ted Bundy would mm-hmm. fall into both the process and product killer because okay. his whole thing was he had this act to where he pretended to have like a broken arm and yeah. he didn't help with his groceries or get into the car. Yeah. And then once the women would come to the car, that then he'd the, get them. the hook, so to speak. And man. that's the process. So for him, it's the it's the act of, of needing help. But then once he had them, he would have, I, I think he would have sex with the bodies even. I think there was some necrophilia that occurred with Ted Bundy. I may be wrong, but, you know, it was uh, it was a combination thereof. So that's Yikes. what I wonder with her. Was it just about getting the money or was it kind of the thrill of the hunt of getting these guys in and, and getting them baited and then killing them? Yeah, it sounds like because once she had them, you know, incapacitated, you know, not completely, but definitely weakened, then the husband would take over. Except, you know, this guy Peoples, he didn't drink the tea. He went upstairs, his wits full about him, he was fully aware and thought something was up. So 
Well, when you say the husband would take care of people, did they have like a particular way that they kind of did them in? Yes. Oh, really now? (laughs) Okay. And that's that's why John Peoples is important because he kind of like broke it up. So he goes upstairs and he's, you know, he thinks something's up and he's not, you know, he's not feeling bad or anything. And he's got this weird feeling, gut instinct, I guess. And he decides to, instead of go to bed, he just stays up and he's going to ride out the night and sleep or sit up and maybe fall asleep in, in a chair that, that was a stat that was ready for him in the room instead of going to bed properly. Now, he was sitting in the chair by the door and he did eventually nod off to sleep. But he was awakened during the night by a loud crash. He woke up and he sees that the bed in his room had totally fallen through the floor, some kind of trapdoor mechanism, fallen through the the floor and and dumped itself into the basement, which scared the bejesus out of him. Yeah. So he's like, what the frick? He climbs out his window, gets on his horse, and rides straight for Charleston the whole six miles, dead of the night. But, like, what an inefficient way to kill somebody. Because, I mean, I've helped plenty of people move. Mm-hmm. And carrying a bed and a mattress up a set of stairs is a pain in the ass. Yeah, because so, they'd have to reset that trap every yeah, time. You're going to have to carry this bed and mattress. And I mean, I don't know. I know at that time, furniture was a little more sturdy. And so it yeah. might survive the fall. But what happens if you break your, your bed that's part of your trap door mechanism kind of thing? I don't know. Maybe it just like caved in at the foot of the bed and just like shot him into the basement. Oh, I'm, like, I'm a, like really a, sure. a, a shoot, like right. you tilt down and you're gone. Right. It wasn't, I didn't get the details of how the mechanism exactly functioned, but it was rigged up to toss him asleep and, you know, poisoned with oleander into the basement where the husband was waiting. This It really kind of makes me think of a precursor to H.H. Holmes' murder hotel, mm-hmm. in a sense, the way that they've got this room rigged up. I mean, it's just one room as compared to the entire hotel. Yeah. But rigged up to uh, to throw them down there to where you can get them. Right. And the Sweeney Todd musical, you know, where he would kill the customers in his beauty or his, his, his beauty barbershop, <laughs> his beauty salon, whatever, and then just like eject them into the basement and... To be cooked into a meat to pie. To be cooked into pies. Yeah. So that's... Kind of what they may have had rigged up in six miles north of Charleston. That's kind of impressive mechanical engineering for this time, especially. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that would have worked. Um, anyway, so he was sitting in the chair. That didn't happen to him. And he's like, okay, you know, three strikes, you're out. I'm getting out of here. Hopped out the window, jumped on his horse, and just read, rode straight out through the night back to Charleston. Upon hearing uh, people's story, the law enforcement formed a posse and rode out. Now, they had already known about a lot of outlaw activity in the area, highwaymen that were active, and they figured, well, that makes sense if the Fishers were in on it. So they rode out, Then, after a gunfight, John and Lavinia and several of their accomplices were brought into justice and tossed into the city jail to await their trial. This happened on February the 18th of 1819. Put them in jail, but they didn't hear the case until May of that year. Yeah, so they let them, they let them stew for quite a while couple so, months. So I know you said they may have had a hundred bodies or so down there. <laughs> yeah. Did they ever get like a confirmed actual number as far as like at, at least what they know? I know sometimes they'll do what they know and then there's how many they suspect. Mm-hmm. But how many bodies did they actually like for sure attribute to these people? Right now I'm in, in I'm in legend mode. Oh, okay. So if you're in Charleston and you're hearing the tales of Lavinia Fisher, you're hearing, oh my God, they killed a hundred people or so. We'll get to how many it actually was. Is it worse? It's always worse, isn't it? I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, so the pair were convicted on highway robbery charges, 
which at the offense was a capital offense. Really? Even, even for women. Um, I believe the idea was highway robbery almost always included murder. Or so, at least it was going to lead up to it. So yeah. they knew that at some point you were going to escalate from basic robbery right. to actual full-blown murder. Right. So it's highway robbery with intent to murder or you know attempted murder or something. So it doesn't sound like much on paper, but then once you get the intent involved, it's it's it's, it's a pretty serious charge. So anyway, uh, the conditions in the city jail in 1819, spanning on up into 1820, were somewhat less than posh. There was no running water, no drainage, and no sanitation to speak of. The place was crawling with vermin and, and disease and pestilence. Lavinia's constant petitioning did get the couple moved out of the dungeon, at least, and into an upstairs cell. But they only used this kindness to then attempt an escape. See, when you tell me, you know, they're down in the dungeon, this sounds like exactly where they'd want to be anyway. It would kind of harken them back to home, in a sense. <laughs> you know, with their, their freaky-deaky murder in that they've got there, with the trap door leading into the, I'm assuming, a basement kill yeah. chamber. Yeah. It's like, hell, they're like, oh, this is great. It, it makes me think of exactly where we were right before this. Well, it's one thing to be the prisoner and one thing to be the... The jailer in the a The jailer, sense. yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so they did attempt an escape. On September 13th of 1819, John and one of his partners managed to dig out a hole under their window, so I imagine they kind of like enlarged the window, maybe under the bars or something, and lowered themselves out using bedsheets. One of the like oldest tricks in the book yeah, right I know, there. right? <laughs> but unfortunately, the sheet ripped, and Lavinia, the last person out, didn't make it. Yeah, so she she never got she never got out she never escaped. Okay, she didn't. When you said she didn't make it, I I pictured, you know, like the uh, no, she didn't fall to her death. She just the sheet ripped, and so she couldn't descend. <laughs> See, but whenever these are happening, like I just I always want to picture some like funny cartoon circus music as they're lowering these out the window, like dun 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 dun, dun yeah. like the sheets coming out one after another. Yeah. You know, listeners, when you when you buy sheets for your bed at home, make sure you get the high thread count. <laughs> yeah, if you <laughs> ever need skimp. To, if you ever need to make an escape out of out of your house, yeah, you know, by rappelling down the wall, especially you're on the second or third story, it makes a difference. Anyway, John and apparently his friend, who must have been incredibly loyal, they didn't want to leave the city and and leave Lavinia behind. So they actually spent a few days kind of hanging out in the city, like hiding out and trying to think of a way to to go ahead and get Lavinia to, to escape with them. Uh, but that never came to pass, and they were eventually found and rearrested and thrown back in the prison. So, did they ever try to make like a, a prison break for her to try to bust her out separately, like some Bonnie and Clyde style? I stuff? think they were they were just caught too early. They were hanging out in the city, uh, maybe hanging out under these underneath like the overturned boats on the coast. Okay, so they never. Yeah, kind of shacking up under there, trying to think of a way to get her, and then some. You know, they eventually figured out who they were and threw them back in jail. By this time, we're up to about January of 1820. Um, they had another court appearance, and some of their charges were lessened, but they were still on the hook for the highway robbery charges, in addition with a man named William Hayward, who was one of their accomplices. Uh, he may also have owned some stake in the Six Mile Inn or its property. So at this point, they didn't know about the actual murders. They were just going off of John Peoples' testimony that they tried to rob him. Right. And the the other, like, criminal and outlaw activity in the region. And so the law enforcement just kind of assumed they were part of that operation and uh, kind of brought them all in with the rest of the highwaymen. Now, did the law enforcement, did they go over, ever go check out the Six Mile Inn? They did eventually, yes. Okay, but not, but not at this time, though. 
This time they're perfectly happy to put them away and maybe execute them for highway well, robbery with intent to murder. And that's the thing you see out through all of history when it comes to these big prolific crimes is that a lot, there's a lot of shoddy police work <laughs> that goes into it. I mean, it, it really is. Like a lot of serial killers are caught because the serial killer themselves got sloppy. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with good police work. Like exactly mm-hmm. in this case, mm-hmm. you know, had they gone out to, to murder six mile murder in out there and saw what was going Can on. Can I have the murder suite? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, though. It'd be kind of fun to have, like, a suite that had a slide in it. I mean, as long as it didn't result in your death at the end of it. Yeah. But if they yeah. had gone out there and just looked at these things, that they could have figured out at least a little more, you'd think. Again, a lot of more of that will come to light, and it's like you almost read my notes ahead of time. I, I know, but I'm just really excited about the story. I don't want to get, get into it. Why do I even write this? You can just make it up as you go. That's, that's how I make it through my entire life, actually. All my research is <laughs> out the window. Their execution by hanging was set for February 4th after their appeals had been rejected. At this time, John began meeting with a local clergyman, Dr. Richard Furman. So John was doing the right thing and getting himself some Jesus. John, was this the John Peoples? No, uh, a lot of Johns. No, her husband, John Fisher. Oh, okay. Because I was like, well, I mean, certain, something like that, I, I know at this time period, mental health and therapy... Yeah. was not really a combination. And, you know, if, there, if you need therapy, there's no shame in that, especially a traumatic event like this. So I was thinking that at that time period, maybe the clergy was the closest thing. Well, I don't think necessarily the clergy is a good therapist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the closest thing at that time. It's more about you're going down, prepare yourself to meet the Lord. So he, he's uh, trying to, you know, cash in all of his chips and hedge right. his bets. Come clean, repent your sins. You're, <laughs> you're a dead man walking. Yeah. Um, so you need to get right with Jesus and, uh, maybe there'll be something better for you on the other side, but your days are numbered. I mean, you got a, you got a one way express ticket to hell when you're out there setting right. up a murder hotel. And Lavinia, she was having none of that. She was having, she none was of that. unrepentant until the day she died. Unrepentant until the day she died. I can actually respect that a little bit. Like to me that says, you know, I've, I've got a fuck you attitude towards the universe and that's what I'm going to hold on to. And until you, you hang me right. or shoot me or whatever. So the husband was going one way and Lavinia was going the other and she doubled down on that. Do you think that maybe she was such a pain in the ass? through her life he was like fuck this i cannot spend eternity with this woman <laughs> i don't know you know up up until the very very end he proclaimed his innocence but like i said lavinia on the other hand was quite obstinate in fact leading up to her execution she became even more and more combative and just totally defied the situation she was convinced that there's no way in the world that they're going to execute a woman so she just kind of doubled down on her entire thing yeah she's like i'm a woman you're not giving me capital punishment. That's unheard of. That's ridiculous. And she was banking on that. Well, but I mean, if you look at the justice system, especially at that time, and you said, did you say she was the first woman executed? According correct? to the legend, she was the first woman to suffer capital punishment in the United States. So, I mean, at that time, we're talking 1820s, right? right. So, I mean, that's a good 50 years, roughly. Yeah. To where nothing had happened. Yeah. And I mean, there was, there was no precedent. Being committed. Yeah, exactly. From so, her frame of mind. I don't want to agree with her, but I can at least follow the logic she was using yeah. to get off of it. So <laughs> she she has your beds, too. So she, she, she concocted this strange plan. So she knew that John was scheduled to hang first, making her a widow. So at that point, she's single and back on the market, Zach. Hey. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> in that short window of opportunity, Lavinia decided, well, maybe I can woo a new husband who would wed her on the spot and make it all the more difficult for the authorities to execute her for her crimes, right? I mean, who's going to who's going to execute a newlywed woman 
she really does fall into the profile of the Black Widow serial killer, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so, according to legend, again, so when she goes up to the gallows to be to be hanged for her crimes, she's wearing a wedding gown. That's that shows I I appreciate that kind of style. So that when her husband swings and is dead, she's on the market, ready to be married on the spot, and hopefully stay her execution right then and there. It's one of those things, it's so crazy, it just might work. It might. I mean, you know, I've seen some guys, you know, online, they're supposed to term simps. Yeah. <laughs> Prisonwomenhookup.com, the new official sponsor of Gravedigger Radio Podcast. You marry me now to stay at my execution, I'll send you my private Snapchat account. <laughs> if Lavinia Fisher had had internet, maybe she'd be alive today. Oh, she would definitely have an only OnlyFans. <laughs> That's for damn certain. And no shame, no shame if you have an OnlyFans. What's OnlyFans? Are you are you not familiar with OnlyFans? No, I don't. I mean, I can assume, but I don't know if I can. Do I'm pretty the proud that I knew what a Snapchat was, quite frankly. Right. I don't even know if I can do the description justice myself, but I don't want to get put my own murder in for this comment. But I, <laughs> it's it's kind of like if you were to combine like porn and Facebook, I think a little bit to where it's like an amateur kind of thing to where women will post pictures and videos of themselves. Oh goodness me. And people can subscribe to it and everything. It's it's not my kind of thing, but I mean, hey, you know, if you're making money, good for you. Like anywhere you can make some cash. I know it got really popular during the pandemic stuff <laughs> because everybody being off working at home. Porn is an industry that will never go away, and sex sells. Well, um, maybe. I mean, if it had kept her, you know, from being hanged, maybe she would have gone for it. Either way. None of Lavinia's ploys paid off, but she still went down on her own terms. I respect that, though. Like, I hate to say it. I mean, I know she's a terrible person and a, and a horrible creature, but just to have that kind of self-confidence and fuck you, I'm, I'm going to be me to the bitter end. I, hey, you got to believe in yourself, right? You only get one go around. If you don't believe in yourself, who possibly could? <laughs> so facing the crowd, and apparently there was this huge crowd that had shown up to watch the execution. I mean, it would have been like the story in Charleston of the day. So facing the crowd, her last words were said to have been, if you have any message for the devil, tell me now. That's be fucking him, metal. I will be seeing him shortly. I love that. That may be my favorite. Oh, God. I, why do, <laughs> wait, what is wrong with me that I like the villain of the story so I, I don't much? Know. But it's like, that's awesome. I don't know. I'm a little uncomfortable in my own basement right now. Like, I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's That's a bumper sticker right there. We can market this. Not only, it gets it gets better. So she says that, you know, with the noose around her neck, and then denying the hangman his one job, she steps off the gallows on her own, throws herself to her own doom, hangs herself before he pulls the trap. That is the ultimate, you can't fire me, I quit move. Absolutely. If there ever was, and there's something to be said for that. I'm going to hell, and let's just get there faster, I guess. I was going to say, you're not going to send me because I'm going myself. After they hung for the appropriate amount of time, John and Lavinia were buried nearby in the city's Potter's Field. You know what a Potter's Field is? Um, I, I'm not 100% certain, honestly. It's kind of like, you know, nobody's going to put up the cost for a proper burial, so it's... Okay, like a pauper's grave. Kind yeah, of yeah, pauper, same thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. same thing, same thing. Yeah, so they were buried there, and nobody exactly knows where the location of that is today. But the tourists to Charleston regularly claimed a chance upon her apparition Ooh. when visiting the old city jail. And, you know, this is something that the uh, local ghost tour companies market rather aggressively. <laughs> well, 
Oh yeah, I mean you got. I mean that's a cool story. You got to sell it as hardcore as you possibly can. Yeah. So why is Lavinia's ghost haunting the old jail? Who knows? But we have an acquaintance in town that wrote a good song about it. We do. Check out Ryan Sinclair's "All the Little Pieces" Lavinia's song. Was the six mile house the way we travel? She's 
Man, I absolutely love that song. It is really beautiful to listen to. It's quite the earworm. I've had that in my head for a good three days now. And singing along. And Ryan was gracious enough to email us back and give us permissions for that song. So we definitely want to plug all of her stuff. Oh, sure. So go on Facebook. Check out Ryan Sinclair Music. She does a ton of great songs. Really enjoyed the stuff she put out. Great local musician. And she's performed in Charleston. And the uh, the local paper, the uh, Post and Courier, uh, promoted her events down in Charleston because you know, she wrote that song and tried to drum up some support for her down there. Great musician. Well, guys, go check her out. And this is actually going to end up being a two-part episode. So tune in next week for part two of the Lavinia Murders.